0: You're listening to a Better Trap Podcast. I'm your host, Marcos Dinnerstein. Every week, I bring you an important player in New York City's tech scene, and maybe as important, I also shine a light on the newest players. What each of them does matters. Lisa Linhart of Linhouse. Is that right?
1: That is correct.
0: Great. So let's start in the middle with what is your typical week like? I know you're working on two different businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, Describe, first of all, what you do and uh, how that fits with uh, each of those businesses.
1: Sure. I'm a designer, a maker, and a second-time entrepreneur. My first business was Linhart Design or is Linhart Design. We opened a retail store in 2008 and um, did a lot of custom work for people in the neighborhood in the East Village and quickly grew. Um, And then when I wanted to scale the business, I started Linhouse about a year and a half ago. And uh, that's where we are now.
0: So what does Linhouse do?
1: So right now, we are figuring out a way to essentially scale custom work for the masses in a way that's more efficient and affordable for the average customer.
0: If it's scaled, how is it custom? Isn't that an oxymoron?
1: It is, uh, but as a maker, I can tell you how I made jewelry in 2008 is very different than the way that I make it now. So there are some great advancements in digital manufacturing that's really leveraging Um, technology in a way that makes the process a lot more affordable for the average customer. Um, So a lot of the steps along the way are skipped. For example, mold making, um, inventory in retail stores. Right now, a lot of our inventory is digital. Um, We leverage CAD-CAM and Rhino and a lot of the technical programs that currently exist or modeling programs in order to make our inventory more digital.
0: So, in the specific case of molds, are you avoiding creating molds altogether or? Yes. Yes. Okay, so then describe that. Is is it laser cutting? Is it uh, 3D printing? Yeah. All of the above?
1: All of the above. I think it depends on the type of jewelry that's being made. So, there are different ways of making that jewelry. One way is uh, you can definitely laser cut certain parts and then traditionally solder them together. Or what we typically do is, in the lost wax casting process, is we utilize modeling programs like Rhino, and then we 3D print. Um, there are lots of really wonderful materials that you can direct cast from in the 3D printing. So we do that, and we combine it with traditional jewelry making techniques in order to make a piece that looks uh, like it was made from from scratch by hand.
0: So let me, let me just jump in on that so I, I understand. In the lost wax process, you make a wax model of the object you want to create, you encase it in plaster or yeah, some other form, that, and then you heat that so the wax is lost, thus yes. the name, and you now have a, a, a mold into which you can pour whatever uh, molten metal.
1: I'm- so a lot of that now is skipped in the manufacturing process with digital printing. So what we're doing at Linhouse House is we're leveraging that technology in order to make custom jewelry uh, more uh, affordable for the average customer.
0: So what kind of scale production do you anticipate or, or hope to be able to achieve with that? Are we talking uh, scores, hundreds, thousands? Yes. Uh, All
1: of the above. I think the great thing about New York that a lot of people forget is that it's such a hub for manufacturing and traditionally in jewelry. There are generations and generations that go back to um, being a jeweler here in New York City and um, people also don't realize that 97% of the diamonds in the United States pass through the Diamond District of New York. The Diamond District has traditionally been such a great place for manufacturing. And I think with all the advancements in technology today, um, it's really important to combine those two worlds and really help keep uh, manufacturing alive in New York City, especially because of the history associated um, with making jewelry in the city.
0: So that, that will be a, a, an educational process of speaking to people in the industry and convincing them that it's in their best interests to adopt new technology.
1: Yeah, I think I'm starting to see that among a lot of manufacturers in New York City already, which is great. I think it just hasn't trickled its way quite yet um, to a lot of retailers. I think there's an old school mentality with um, jewelry making in that specific area or that district. And so, you know, it's an interesting time because there are these clashes of generations and cultures and also genders right now happening. Um, in that district. You know, traditionally, this was a man's job. This is not you know, a woman's job to be a maker. And um, I think you also see a lot of designers that are coming in and really don't know much about making jewelry and then trying to leverage that technology um, to create lines. And they see, you know, I see when I repair these pieces that you really need to understand the way jewelry is made in order to successfully combine tech and uh, traditional ways of of jewelry making in order to create a successful company.
0: So jumping back to what what your week is like, how do you you apportion your time to um, bring in money, pay the rent, uh, put food on the table from your traditional business, I assume that that's, that's your regular cash flow right now, and also build something that will scale.
1: Actually, Linhart Design is a bit dormant right now. I'm sort of using it as a a way to market Linhouse because I do a lot of sculpture and art jewelry pieces that I think the media and the press really um, are attracted to, and I'm using that to sort of leverage the work of Linhouse. But really what Linhouse House is, is it's it's almost 100% of my focus right now. But I actually spend a lot of time with customers trying to convince men that women want to be involved in a purchase that they wear every single day for the rest of their life. And that really comes from um, spending the past, over a decade actually, making thousands and thousands of custom pieces of jewelry for couples. And also for men who um, have decided to make pieces of jewelry that are custom for their partner, and then their partner not really liking um, what what was made, um, and then coming to really melt the piece over again. And I know that it sounds like a super high-maintenance Bridezilla, but it actually happens a you, lot more... You melt down I do.
0: stuff that you've done?
1: I do. And so what we started to do is actually um, expand that model and also incorporate other pieces of jewelry. Let's say an heirloom piece of jewelry that's no longer your style or a mismatched pair of earring. You can melt down any, anything in your jewelry box essentially to create an engagement ring or a celebration piece of jewelry. Um, I think what people also don't realize is that Metal, precious metals, are the only thing in the world that you can melt over and over again without losing quality. So it's not like the second generation of a plastic bottle that loses quality. You know, metals, if they're if they're recycled properly, can actually uh, contribute to this wonderful circular economy that is really popular right now in retail. Um, you know, it's it's actually I think the only material in the world. That uh, you can repurpose over and over again without losing that type of, you know, wonderful quality that it has.
0: That's so interesting. Beating plowshares into plowshares. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it's a. Uh, it's. I think it's really important to, you know, to not advocate for uh, to fast fashion. And I think as a fashion brand, um, it's really something that we all need to be conscious about and. Jewelry is such a great medium for it. It just, you know, listen to the material and what it's telling you. And, um, you know, it's just the fabulous medium uh, in order to create a circular economy story.
0: Neat. So, how did you get here? First of all, where'd you grow up? Did you grow up in in the New York area? Oh, I'm
1: a Queens girl, yeah. I grew up in Jamaica, Queens. Um, And uh, I went to school out of my neighborhood. um, So I'm still in Queens. Uh, moved to new, uh, the Emerald City. Uh, when you're from the outer borough, you know Manhattan is the Emerald City, which is hilarious now because now the Emerald City is on the other side. Now that I'm in Manhattan, it's Brooklyn. Um, but uh, growing up, Manhattan was the place to be. So I moved here when I was 18. I had a dance career. I had a photography career, a graphic design career. And uh, in 2008, I opened my first retail store, which was jewelry.
0: Well, what, as a kid, what were your interests? Uh, there were dance, there were design, um, and how did, that, how did that all evolve to where you are now?
1: Uh, well, I'm a first-generation American, so you know, I was always drawn to the arts, whether it be painting or dance or sculpture. And uh, as a first-generation American, I don't know if you guys can relate, but um, my parents always wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer and anything but a creative. So it was really difficult um, growing up in an environment where that wasn't necessarily nurtured. But I, I just was drawn to it. As much as I tried to get away from it, I was drawn to it. And um, finally, I decided to embrace it. And I think once I did, uh, I saw the support of my family, who are my best friends. So um, That's fortunate. I was very, very fortunate. Not everyone has that. Not everyone has that. And uh, I was very fortunate to take that leap and, and get a lot of support.
0: So where are you planning to take each of those uh, businesses? Are you, are you going to continue the traditional retail business um, alongside growing uh, a tech startup?
1: Yeah, so actually we are opening a brick and mortar um, in September um, under the name Linhouse So um, even though my first retail store was in 2008, we actually closed a year and a half ago bad landlord story, (laughs) Um, but we've worked uh, 100% out of our Midtown location, which is what we've had for almost a decade. It's where we make, uh, where we produce, where we create. And so uh, we've been working out of there, and customers really have loved it coming into the space where things are made, even though it's super raw and not beautiful or romantic at all. Um, but I think I want to do what I do best, and I know that it's a tough game out there when it comes to investing in digital marketing, and it seems like it's a world for a lot of big players that have a lot of money um, in order to get the right placement on Google. And so I have got a lot of traction from just talking to my customers, and you know, this business was built as a solution to many problems that I saw in 10 years, not the other way around. So I want to present the solution to the customers, and I think the best way to do that is directly to them uh, with a storefront. And so uh, the plan is for Linhouse to have a storefront. Um, and again, I hope you guys will come to the opening. It is uh, probably gonna be on Friday, September 13th. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, we'll have lots of free alcohol (laughs) Um, but you'll also meet all the customers uh, well not all but a lot of the customers from the past 10 years um, who are going to be wearing the pieces of jewelry that we made for them through my first business Um, but we'd love to hear your feedback on our new way of getting engaged um, and also
0: You mean that literally, engaged to marry.
1: Exactly. And actually, Lynn House, our hashtag is beengaged. And the double entendre, of course, I'm glad glad you got it. We were branded by Red Antler, so uh, good job, Red Antler. (laughs) Um, uh, But I look forward to talking to the customer directly. I feel like that's where the success is. And um, this is such a personal purchase. It's such an emotional piece of jewelry. I think jewelry tells the stories of our lives and uh, they mark certain milestones in our lives. So to create a personal process, to me, is a lot more natural than going online and um, having a, you know, something that you pick off a, a virtual shelf for. Um, I think f- what's happening with the magic of Linhouse is that the digital manufacturing is really happening on the back end and it's really about the collaboration and the memories that you create when you're going through this process that are the most important part of this piece of jewelry. Um, it's, I think if you give people the experience uh, rather than just providing an experience, you're providing the opportunity for them to have that experience and that collaboration. That's the important part of creating a special piece or a symbol of your love or your commitment or celebrating a specific time in your life.
0: So, what is that experience that you that you either do or hope to to uh, achieve with with the customer?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So, um, I think customer behavior is the most difficult thing. Uh, changing customer behavior. They, they
0: misbehave so frequently.
1: <laughs> they misbehave. Yeah, they're bad, bad customers. Um, no, it's just changing customer behavior. That's the most difficult thing. And I think... Um, from what to what? Well, from from anything to, to something that they're not used to doing. And I think that's why I was saying earlier that it's difficult to convince men about this process because women are all over it.
0: So what do men really want? Um, Wait, that's not well, what Freud said.
1: <laughs> well, what do women really want? And I'm being really sex-specific here, but we'll talk about... Um, our our concept for same sex couples in a little bit, but let's take the traditional um, the traditional male female relationship. I think a man wants to control the budget in the project. I think that he wants to take the bull by the horns and feel like he's involved in some way instead of giving a gift certificate and saying here you go is a gift certificate to X Y Z retailer. Go get yourself an engagement ring.
0: Do that. Nobody
1: does that, right? No, but see, the problem is that they want to get so involved without really incorporating their equal partner in the process, right? Like, think of all the decisions that couples make together; they're joint decisions, right? Whether it be something in their apartment or their home, um, you know, the face of relationships have definitely changed. Women are equal partners now, hopefully. and yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Um, and they want to be involved in the process. So why hasn't that trickled its way down into a piece of jewelry that's supposed to be a symbol of this equal partnership?
0: Well, I feel so so forward. I've been married for forty years, and my wife and I have one ring where they interlock. So we each have half of a ring.
1: I love that concept. You know, and it's so memorable to you, right? So do you want to uh, tell me about the? quick story of how you guys got engaged. I love listening to these stories. so, oh, so you're interviewing me Yeah, now. can oh, I just hear this sure. for a second?
0: Oh, it's, it's a wacky story. Okay, so um, my, my wife and I were, were seeing each other, and uh, we decided we were going to move in together, and um, she told her very strict Roman Catholic, Polish mother that this was going to uh, be happening and her mother completely flipped out and said, I'm going to kill you, kill myself, and break his legs with a baseball bat. And, uh, you know, the usual, why would he buy the cow when he can get the milk for free, which if you think about it, is really quite, quite uh, flattering for both parties. <laughs> and uh, so this was a, a, a real uh, crisis. So I said, well, let's just get married. You know, it means that much to your mom. Uh, you know, it's just a piece of paper. Ha, huh. not the case. Um, so, two weeks later, we got married. With, there was a um, really lovely silversmith next to the Beacon Theater on Broadway at around 75th Street, called the Silver Mine. And he had, you know, beautiful custom work there. We saw this this ring that uh, was two rings that interlocked, and we said. Yeah, that kind of says what we want to do, what we want to be. Uh, So we got that. It was rather inexpensive. um, And that's how it came to be.
1: Well, see, these are the types of stories that I love to hear because I hear about the memory that was created, right? So when the two of you walked into that place, there's this wonderful memory. And it sounds like you guys were a progressive couple that were doing things at the time that was very different. And so you were trying to choose, um, a special memory to really mark that that different time in your life, or it's something that embodied body did. Absolutely, the,
0: uh, event,
1: yeah, uh, and the that's, event exactly. That's what we're trying to do at Linhouse. Um, I think it's really important to create that memory. Um, see, so you're looking at your ring. You're pointing at your ring for for guests out there who don't see it, um, and you know you as you look at it, you are reminded of that memory. And so I think it's really important to attach that love and that connection and that collaboration into that piece of jewelry. As you look at it, you know it reminds you of a specific time. Um, it, it solidifies this commitment that you have, and uh, it's a piece of jewelry that you know should be um, made with these memories and this wonderful collaboration. So, how
0: do you work with a with a uh, set of customers? Um, do you suggest say, say the guy comes in and goes? I know what my what my fiancé wants, and I'm just going to select something, and that's that. Do you try and steer them away from that unilateral um, choice and say, well, why don't you bring it in together? Well, I want to surprise her. How do, how do, you, uh, how do you finesse that, or, or do you?
1: Yeah, well, again, I think it's a collaboration. So, um, you know, I'm not here to dictate to anybody what they should or shouldn't be doing. I'm here to offer um, some solutions to people where it can work for them, it it couldn't work for them. I feel like there are different approaches. And for me, um, what I've realized is that when couples also work collaboratively, they're very happy, both parties get what they want, but then usually I have one person saying, well, where's my romantic moment? Where's my surprise? Where's my big reveal? And so, um, you know, how do you create the surprise ring without the disaster uh, attached to it. And so that's what we've really come up with. And one of the things that we address at Lynn House is that particular concept. And so our logo is really the ampersand that's stylized and it is all about collaboration. And um, what we ask is that the, let's talk Uh, the giver and the receiver to keep it gender neutral. Uh, We want the the giver to be able to choose the gemstone first and foremost because that allows the giver to control the budget of the project. Um, And so we allow um, some guidance along the way. We help them pick the gemstone, we are gemologists, we are experts in that field. And step two essentially is to pick the color of metal, whether it be Um, a yellow gold or a white gold. That's it. Um, And usually you can tell by what your partner is wearing. And then what we do is we put those two elements in a ring that essentially is a temporary ring. And a pain point that we realized over the few years is that we don't know your partner's ring size. So we created this proprietary sizer that has a cog underneath the stone that basically can fit any finger. And so this is the, the piece that is presented to the partner um, in the proposal moment. And they have this wonderful surprise and this wonderful unveiling. And we call this the element ring, because the concept of this is that the elements that were there during the proposal are essentially going to be melted down or repurposed into the final ring of your dreams. And that's where the collaboration begins, and that's where the magic of Linhouse begins.
0: This is a very cool sizing solution. So what I'm looking at is a ring that has inset in the interior of the ring above where your finger goes an adjustable arc that will close in or move out to adjust the interior size of the ring to the correct fitting for your finger. And that looks like it happens with a screw mechanism. Did I uh, describe that correctly? Absolutely. That's and it's just cool.
1: it's an easy step. You know, Step one, choose your gemstone. Step two, choose the metal. Um, then step three, we put it into this wonderful sizer. And then you propose. And then the collaboration does begin from there.
0: So this, this prototyping, as, as it were, is in a sense an aesthetic proposal. I propose that we that we do this, and it can be modified from there.
1: Exactly. Which is,
0: which is, oh well, the setting. It's interesting, but maybe it would be nice if we did the following, or maybe maybe traditional yellow gold isn't not the way to go. Maybe maybe we could do white gold. So that, that, this is the beginning of the conversation?
1: It is the beginning of the conversation. What we realized um, in the past 10 years that the, there are two things that the giver usually gets right. It's the gemstone and the color of metal. So very rarely um, does the receiver change those two elements. Um, so that's why we wanted to create a, a ring that you can sort of uh, unveil um, the ceremonial part of being able to put it on your partner's finger um, has been really important to our customers over the, ten year, uh, the past 10 years. So that's why we came up with this concept um, as a solution. So you have your surprise, you have your unveil, but then you also are involved collaboratively in um, the ring that you're going to see and wear every single day for the rest of your life.
0: Very cool. And have you, have you tried this uh, prototyping uh, with customers and what's your yeah. response so for?
1: We have, we've gotten great feedback. Um, we've done tons of uh, case studies. We've done tons of um, testing. Um, we've actually made many, many rings already with this, uh, this concept and this process. Um, we also have made rings the traditional way from givers who decide that they're gonna go the traditional route. And then when they learn about what we do, Uh, the couple as a whole learn about what we do, usually the receiver's like, oh, well, why didn't we go that route? And, you know, the giver's like, well, it's risky and I wasn't sure how you would feel about it. And so uh, what we found in studies is that uh, the giver tends to be, especially if it's women, um, tend to be all over it. And it's just, you know, that hurdle of being able to pitch it to guys and, and not have their ego attached to it or feel like they need to have a final product before they present it to their partner. And so the ring that you described, um, going back to same-sex couples and keeping it uh, uh, gender neutral, is uh, we've created a regular wedding band. It just looks like a plain ring, sort of a lot like what's on your finger, that has the same sizing functionality that can be given to a man from a man Could be given to a woman from a woman. Um, It even could be given from a woman to a man, (laughs) as a great um, proposal gesture.
0: Shocking idea,
1: Uh, which I've done before. (laughs) So um, you know, for me, it's not that shocking. But uh, I do understand that it's not the norm. Um, But we want to create a piece of jewelry or a symbol where it really can be for anyone and. I've especially had same-sex couples ask me, well, now what? What do we do? You know, and where's my surprise? And so there's no reason why they should be excluded from that wonderful romantic moment, which essentially you're going to remember down the line, I think, um, as you tell the story of your engagement or um, your celebrating or ceremony, uh, your commitment. Mm-hmm.
0: So as, as your story opening is right upon us, how can people learn more? How can people... Participate.
1: So now I'll go into commercial mode. <laughs> you can go to www.linhouse.com. It's spelled like Bauhaus for those of you who know the movement. It's L-I-N as in Nancy, H-A-U-S.com. That's the best, best place to start. You can also follow us on Instagram, which is at design. Um, and Bauhaus is such a great inspiration because it's all about um, the split or the equality between craft and design. And that's essentially what we are. We're not just designers, but we are master craftsmen um, who really understand uh, 3D printing and digital manufacturing in ways to make your ring look like it wasn't digitally manufactured, uh, but it was made by hand.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining
1: me. Thanks for having me, Matt. I hope to see you at the opening on 13th of September. Do my
0: best to be.